You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's talk about uh, Don McCree joins us right now, head of commercial banking at Citizens Financial Group. And Don, um, we have, over the last really our heard um, some really pessimistic outlooks due to the resurgence of the Delta variant and maybe Mu or whatever other Greek letters are upon us. Um, how does it look in your world? Well, I think we're we're seeing a little bit of a slowdown, but I have to say that we continue to be quite optimistic and we, we think we're going to get through um, some of these variants. Our clients are actually doing quite well and our transactional businesses, our M&A business and our capital markets businesses are at all-time highs and the pipelines continue to build. So we, we continue to be you know, focused on, on Delta and the, and the potential new viruses, but quite optimistic as we look forward. And Don, I see that you bought uh, JMP Group. Um, this is a capital markets business that I'm familiar with. I know some folks that work there. Talk to us about JMP and kind of what you guys are thinking about in terms of you know making this acquisition in terms of your capital markets capabilities. Yeah, so it's it's really exciting for us. We've been on a five year kind of uh, strategy to build out our capability sets. Uh, to be able to do really whatever our clients need us to do at any point in time. So built out a big syndicated financing business, built out, uh, bought three M&A boutiques, recently bought a valuation firm, have a great debt capital market securities business, and what we were missing was was equities. And JMP has just built a tremendous business over the last several years, is really recording record results. And, uh, and it also brings us deep sector experience in some really exciting sectors, namely healthcare, um, technology, real estate, and financial services. So we think we think it really is complementary to us. There's very little overlap, so it's kind of 100% synergistic for us. And most importantly, I think, is the the, the culture there is very similar to our culture, and uh, and that's really the most important thing when you when you're when you're buying a capital markets firm like uh, like JMP. What's your what's what's your DNA? What's their DNA? What's the similarity in culture that you like? I'd say client focus, uh, you know, first and foremost, and really a, a premium on building really deep relationships where deep industry expertise is delivered, and we become really the trusted partner with with each of our clients, and that just tends to expand the the, the ways that we can engage with with every other, every client. What we've been able to do for the last several years is is really bring three, four, five, six different products 
to the table, you know, as we built out our client franchise. And, and JMP thinks very similar to that in terms of the way they really try to build deep client relationships. Don, talk to us about loan demand out there. There's so much liquidity in the marketplace. There's a lot of fiscal stimulus. And we've heard some of the the banks, some of the bigger money center banks and their earnings calls talk about, you know, the, the loan demand isn't there um, necessarily. What are you seeing with, with your clients in your it's, markets? It's 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 reasonably uh, muted right now. And you, you hit the head, nail on the head is a lot of clients are sitting with a lot of liquidity and they're going to need to use that liquidity before loan demand really picks up. Where we're seeing it is in utilization rates of our, of our uh, facilities, which are six to seven points lower than they normally would be as an economy recovers. So the good news on the on the flip side is what we're seeing is record capital markets fees. So if companies are financing and needing to raise capital, we're experiencing, you know, very strong capital markets flows, which offsets some of the weakness on the loan side. But we think we think it begins to come back. Our loan pipelines are looking, you know, reasonably good towards the back end of the year. Uh, and so, and some, I would call it transactional loan facilities like ABS warehousing and, and, and things like that are beginning to get a lot more active. Does the rates environment depress you? I mean, it doesn't seem like <laughs> even the terminal rate, if you look Depre- out, is... Dep- depress me emotionally? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's it's tough. I mean, with a flat with rates where they are and a flat yield curve, you know, the, the, the spreads are under pressure. We've been able to, you know, lower our deposit costs in my business um, reasonably aggressively, so we've been able to hold our net interest margin. Um, so, so far, so good. But, but it, you know, the, the spread income is, is certainly under pressure for the entire industry. Don, talk to us about uh, credit quality. What are you seeing in terms of credit quality for your portfolio? And again, it seems it's come in much, much better than expected, it seems like, over the last 18 months, given the economic disruptions. What are you seeing? It's terrific. I mean, I won't say everyone, but the vast majority of our companies are doing better than we expected them to do. So they're they're clearly seeing, you know, know, positive things on the horizon. And a lot of it is because a lot of these companies really hunkered down. I've said that this uh, this downturn, the COVID downturn, was much different than prior downturns and that it was immediate and it was deep. So CEOs and CFOs got very serious and right-sized their businesses very quickly, and that allowed them to build up liquidity and and actually come out of the beginnings of the return with huge amounts of, of excess capacity. So that's resulted in all the uh, releases that you're seeing all the banks make in terms of their credit reserves, and we still we still see very bright things on the future, and we, we really are, are, have moved beyond the credit issues that we, we, we were staring at about you know a year and a half ago. Surely fiscal spending didn't hurt, and nope. uh, when we, I mean, we're, it's, it's not going to last like that forever, right? So eventually, um, the federal government's going to stop spending, you know, multiple trillions of dollars extra every year, um, or, or will they? What do you think about that? Is there a fiscal cliff, or, 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 or is there not? It's it's it, there, there's there's a there's a fiscal cliff in terms of of removing some of the stimulus that's been there. Some of that will be offset with things like the infrastructure program. So there'll be different forms of of, of spending which will continue to be stimulative stimulated. That that not really worrying the client base right now. What's worrying the client base is the supply chain. And if, if we hear a common theme from, from a broad set of clients, it's the, it's the inability to get goods uh, that they're trying to source in the market. And, and, and people do expect that to continue for a while. So that's a, it's a, in a funny way, that's having a constraining effect on the performance of some companies, even if their order books are strengthening. So as well as they're doing, they would be doing even better if they weren't having the supply chain and, in fact, the labor problems that a lot 
lot of them are facing in terms of if, if you can hire someone, the cost of those hires are, are going up quite substantially. All right, Don, yeah, you, like a lot of other bankers, are saying business is good. What's the biggest risk out there? What's the worry for you guys? I think a big uh, resurgence of COVID. Um, so that I think that and, and or some geopolitical event that nobody can anticipate. I mean, so so. But the thing we're focused on is tracking. You know, COVID it feels okay to us now, and uh, you know we're out traveling, seeing clients. We're getting good reports from uh, you know the, most of our clients, and uh, we're pretty optimistic. And five seconds here. Are you back in the offices? Are your teams back? Yes, they are. I'm sitting in New York right now, and uh, we, 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 we're, we're trying to get people back. We think it's super important from a cultural standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's the debate here for uh, a lot of companies. Don McCree, thanks so much for joining us yet again. We'd love getting your perspective on what's going on out there uh, in corporate America. Don McCree is the head of commercial banking for Citizens Financial Group. And again, as we've heard from a lot of bankers, uh, business is good. Their clients are you know, continuing to invest. Uh, they are credit, looking for good. Yeah, looking for capital, uh, looking for returns, uh, and business is good despite uh, a, a flat yield curve and low interest rate environment. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. Now, as Paul has been saying, we're going to bring in Randy Schwimmer right now, Senior Managing Director and Co-Head of Senior Lending at Churchill Asset Management. They have $31 billion in committed capital. And um, uh, one of the things uh, that... that Obviously, people are looking for um, desperately and not finding very easily, Randy, is uh, return. I heard Howard Marks the other day say he thinks, you know, 300 basis points is enough reward for the risk of high yield debt, of junk debt, which I thought was pretty amazing. Where are you finding return? Yeah. So if you think about where high yield used to be, it used to be high yield. It used to be, you know, high single digits. Um, it has not been the case for a while. Uh, there's reasons, technical reasons why that's the case. But what's happened with investors, they're looking at the private market now because the premium, uh, the so-called illiquidity premium, because the private market typically doesn't trade the way the bond market does, that premium is anywhere from 100 to 300 basis points uh, over the, uh, the liquid credit markets. And that's attractive for investors. So, Randy, give us a sense of, you know, the credit quality in the, uh, you know, the private capital business, um, in the leverage loan business, because um, it seems like it's been better than expected, you know, after just coming through 18 months of this uh, economic disruption brought about by the pandemic. What are you seeing? Yeah, and in fact, if you look at the overall direct lending and private credit business, Defaults over the last 18 months have been lower than the broadly syndicated market, which are the large liquid loans and the high yield market. And in part, I think that's because the private credit market is, is uh, been focused more on defensive industries in general, less on things like oil and gas and retail, which obviously have gotten hammered, um, you know, through the COVID period and more on defensive 
business-to-business sectors like healthcare, uh, software, technology, and business services. And so being an active manager in private credit um, meant certainly for us going into COVID, we focused on those sectors that are less correlated to consumer spending because historically, we've been doing this for 15 years under the Churchill banner, we've known that recessions do tend to be you know, led uh, on the consumer side. And so the less consumer-facing businesses you have, generally the better when you go into these. And that's exactly what happened for us and a few others in, in the COVID period. We had no defaults or losses related to COVID. And so then you come out and you still have a tailwind here with these, these, we call them the have businesses, the businesses that have done well and have been relatively unaffected by COVID. I wonder about the still the underperformance of um, you mentioned oil and gas energy, uh, the underperformance of basic materials producers. We haven't seen them bounce back with the rest of the market. And I know at least the, in, in Europe, we see um, basic materials and energy trading just about half the forward PEs of the broader market. Is that going to change? Well, p- part of the focus now is, related to the economy as a whole. And one of the things we recognized uh, about the biological threat that COVID represented was that it really um, was uh, moving around the, 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 uh, the economy and how businesses were reacting to that threat. And what was interesting was, as you think about where we were and predicting what was happening with the economy a year ago versus where we are today, the irony is we thought we were going to be coming out of the downturn um, and at the point where we're, we were going to be looking towards the end of 2021 with a pretty with pretty clear sailing. And that would be could be measured across the economy in terms of overall GDP growth and so forth. And what we have discovered instead is that the Delta variant um, has had has really weighed down on the uh, potential growth that we could see across the economy and and. Obviously, things like commodities are driven by that growth. And you can see in the equities market since, you know, kind of returning from the Labor Day weekend, um, there's investors are kind of concerned about what what does that mean in terms of uh, the growth for for this year? Um, Certainly employment. We've seen that uh, impacted in the most recent labor reports. What does that mean sort of medium term for growth? Because that is going to impact some of these more uh, cyclical businesses. Hey, Randy, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Getting a look at the uh, middle market private lending business. It is a uh, increasingly liquid business where you can get some uh, very attractive uh, relative returns. Uh, and Randy Schwimmer gives us some color there. Randy Schwimmer, Senior Managing Director, Co-Head of Senior Lending at Churchill Asset Management. Think about $31 billion in committed capital. Uh, he is a uh, alum of the J.P. Morgan Chase. That's uh, early in my career. I was at J- Chase Manhattan Bank. We were leveraged lenders to media companies, and um, it is a very good business, but it is all about credit quality and doing the really deep dive credit analysis to see if the cash flow is there to pay you back as you're lending against cash flow in a lot of these businesses, not against assets like inventory or hard assets. So you have to do uh, the really good cash flow analysis. 54 highs for the S&P 500 this year, strong earnings, 
an accommodative uh, Federal Reserve, although tapering is certainly on the table uh, later this year. What is an investor to do? Let's bring in Jordan Jackson. He's a global market strategist for J.P. Morgan Asset Management. He's also a Wahoo from the University of Virginia, but we won't hold that against him. Jordan, thanks so much uh, for joining us here. What are you telling your clients here at J.P. Morgan Asset Management about this market right here? Well, it's a, certainly a, an interesting market. You know, I'm still of the opinion I'm, I'm fairly bullish uh, on, on the market. I, I, I stay constructive due to a couple of reasons. Still think we have a powerful tailwind uh, from the Fed um, and residual fiscal stimulus. I think the, the key there is tapering is not tightening, right? We're still looking at an additional roughly 780 to 800 billion in fiscal stimulus that should hit the market uh, uh, between now and the middle of the middle of next year. I think buybacks are going to be strong and, and may accelerate from here on out. And I think corporate balance sheets are sitting on high levels of cash with, with low leverage, and that should, should be supportive of some shareholder distributions going forward. Um, you know, look, I think growth is still going to remain above trend as well. And, you know, I think all those paint a pretty uh, Goldilocks scenario for, for equity markets. Where do you see the best valuations or where do you see the best value? I should probably phrase that differently. Sure. You know, I, I still see some value in the more cyclical value oriented parts of the market, but I, I think investors should really start uh, to strike a bit more of a balanced tone uh, when we start talk about, you know, value versus growth. Uh, I, I, obviously, the, the large tech names continue to kind of play a bit more defense in, in a market like this as growth concerns uh, continue to worry the markets and, and the Delta Vera continues to spook the markets uh, as well. Uh, but I still think we're a biased for uh, steeper yield curves. Uh, I, I still think that where yields are at today, they're just not aligned with the fundamental picture or the fundamental outlook. And so um, I think in that environment, you know, financials can still do well. I still think energy and industrials, again, those value oriented parts of the market can can do well as the economy continues to reopen. So it's, a, it's, a, it's less so about, you know, you know, trying to overweight value versus growth. But I think uh, striking a bit of a balance between the two makes makes a whole lot of sense. How about that 60-40 portfolio, Jordan? Is that still a thing, or is that a thing of the past, given where global yields are right now? I, I'd argue that it's, 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 it's a thing of the past. Okay. Uh, you know, when we look at sort of valuations on, on the equity side and on the fixed income side, you kind of put those two together, and the forward returns that you're getting out of a 60-40 portfolio, um, including you know baking in inflation, are, are roughly around one to two percent on a, on a real real return going forward over the next five to ten years. So that's just not going to cut it for uh, for investors. But I think it's it's less about you know how much of a 60 you need or or how much of a 40 you need, uh, but more so about you know looking at the overall portfolio and, and identifying where there are opportunities to add things like alternatives. Uh, where you can sort of, uh, you know, the more liquid alternatives, where you can hedge some of that equity downside, but also complementing that with some of the more private alternatives as well, things like real estate and infrastructure for those qualified investors, where that can provide a, a, a uncorrelated return stream um, to, to the overall portfolio. So I think there's going to be a lot more conversations around alternatives uh, within mm -hmm. that 60-40 portfolio, um, because we know just returns in public markets just aren't going to be there going forward. What about crypto? Uh, a lot of people are talking about a uh, 59-41 portfolio. <laughs> um, I mean, look, if you're talking about discussions, I I'm sure these these are discussions you're having with investors, whether or not you're allocating money to it, right? Absolutely, and and, and investors are are you know asking for you know where are their vehicles and, and avenues they can access access the market. 
Um, you know, look, I, I think for those investors who are willing to, to stomach that kind of volatility, obviously the move that you've seen in, in the, the, the crypto markets over the past couple of days certainly remind us that it is, is a very, very volatile market. But, you know, I, I think crypto is here to stay. Um, and again, for those investors who, who are able to craft out a sleeve of the portfolio um, and consumptive volatility, I think I think go for it. Jordan, do you think this market's going to rationally, I guess I'll use that term, um, kind of discount the tapering that is expected later this year? Do you expect a taper tantrum of any sort? Or do you think the Fed's done a good job of kind of signaling where it's going? I like the phrase tapering is not tightening. <laughs> yes, that's very good. Because they're still growing the balance sheet, right? Just at a slower pace. Uh Again, absolutely. Again, as I mentioned earlier, about roughly about another you know eight hundred billion or so is still set to liquidity. It's set to hit the market from now until the middle of the middle of next year. You know, I think the Fed has done a pretty good job at um, you know communicating tapering is on the table and when tapering is, is is likely to occur. And so I think the markets have more or less uh, are are prepared for it. And I think the big difference that that I got really out of the Jackson Hole and, and the difference that I've identified. Um, or I'm seeing with uh, relative to 2013 taper is the, the, the chair has been really good at separating tapering from when interest rate hikes are, are expected to come. When Ben Bernanke came out in May 2013 and made comments uh, about tapering, you saw you saw the front end OIS markets essentially move from pricing in no rate hikes over the next two years to pricing in five rate hikes by September of 2013. Um, and so there was just there's this idea that, you know, uh, a tapering the balance sheet was immediately going to uh, uh, push the push the Fed to begin hiking rates once tapering was done. I think Jerome Powell did a really good job at separating the uh, tapering discussion from the interest rate hike discussion. And so where I was a bit more in the camp that the Fed would be a, a little bit more aggressive to taper the balance sheet to open up the, the, the pathway to hike rates and sometime maybe the fourth quarter of next year or the first half of 2023. Mm. I think they've done a good job at uh, sort of uh, sitting on the sidelines and saying that, hey, it may be the second half of 2023 before we see some rate hikes. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure having you on the program. Jordan Jackson, global market strategist with J.P. Morgan Asset Management. This is Bloomberg. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Well, the Delta variant is keeping this pandemic on the front burner for investors as an issue. The questions include, what will this mean for economic growth on a global basis uh, going forward? Let's bring in Constance Hunter, Chief Economist for KPMG. Constance, thanks so much for, for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time here. How are you factoring into your GDP model um, this lingering uh, pandemic uh, driven by the Delta variant? Yeah. Hey, Paul, great to be with you. It really comes across in two key dimensions. One, of course, is the global supply chain. So with the pandemic lingering, it means that um, factories have the susceptibility to be shut down, uh, that people have the susceptibility, of course, of calling in sick and, and being unable to work. And and of course, all the, the issues with shipping. I mean, 
getting someone to work in the merchant marine ship sector during a pandemic is really, really difficult. So they're, in addition to the, the supply chain bottlenecks at the factory floor, there are um, supply chain bottlenecks with regarding uh, getting goods out to market. And of course, that has knock-on effects and impacts our economy. And we see that most acutely in the uh, chip shortage that's impacting uh, the auto sector as well as a num- number of other sectors. So, um, and as a result, Constance, you're you're reducing your GDP forecast drastically. If I'm reading it right, or is it down? Yeah, well, it's, from a quarterly perspective, very drastically. Yeah, down to one point seven percent from six point eight percent previously. Yeah, for the third quarter. So for the year, just to put that in perspective, yeah, right. That takes us from a six point four percent growth for 2021 to four point seven. So our assumption is that we do see some easing of the Delta variant in the fourth quarter. But, you know, the the mistake we have all made ever since the beginning of this pandemic, and we continue to make because I think people are optimists at heart, um, is that we continue to underestimate the impact of the pandemic or we, we revert to the mean of saying, OK, well, we'll get through this and then we'll get back to normal. And, you know, when we look at what happened, for example, to consumer confidence in August, that sharp decline, everybody had pinned their hopes on September 2021 being the get back to normal time, right? Schools would get back to normal. Offices would get back to normal. Life would get back to normal. And there is just nothing worse than dashed hopes. What is your sense, Constance, for this supply chain? Because, you know, Matt and I, we talked to you know, lots of uh, corporate uh, executives and from across a whole swath of industries. And we're just hearing that it, it continues to be a big issue. How long do you think it will be a big Nobody's issue? Nobody's optimistic. And, yeah. And, and kind of <laughs> what does that do for growth? Yeah, well, I mean, here's where uh, you need me to be on with an epidemiologist or a virologist, right? Because how long it goes on really depends on how long the, the pandemic goes on. And And I think, obviously, because we have the vaccine, we know we have the potential to have the pandemic go on for a much shorter time than historic large pandemics of this nature have gone on. But yet, it's the distribution of that vaccine across not just the U.S. population, but the world that is really causing the pandemic to linger and and having continued health and economic effects. And if we can answer the question of how long the pandemic goes on, we can answer the question of how long the supply chain problems go on. Yeah, I mean, um, the supply chain issues are so so broad. One of the issues, though, is just the chip shortage. And surely that is less affected by the virus, no? Oh, yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it had its origins in... in um, in, in terms of the type of chips that were being made, right? So the, the gear up to 5G and then the shift in demand due to the pandemic away from 5G-related chips more, to more traditional chips. So there's that aspect. But I, but I do think the, the chip shortage is being impacted by the pandemic because mm. a lot of the factories are not able to operate at full capacity. And then uh, the shipping issue that I mentioned, right? So even if you get them produced, getting them into a port that's clogged up, that has delays, um, getting them onto a ship, getting them out of, of Asia into the, the port of Los Angeles. I mean, the backup of ships in the port of Los Angeles is significant. And um, there just aren't enough containers to to get the get the goods distributed throughout the country. And 
you know, we look at if we look at goods consumption in the first half of this year, it grew at a 19% annualized rate. And just to put that in perspective, goods consumption in 2019 for the whole year grew at about three and a half percent, right? So this surge in demand for goods is also clogging up the supply chain and taking up room on trucks and container ships um, that might otherwise be uh, used by ships. And, 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 and so we're seeing bottlenecks across multiple dimensions and it just takes time to work through those bottlenecks, even if we could produce the same number of chips at the factory floor, which we are not. Well, it's interesting, uh, Constance and Matt. Uh, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg's own Charlie Pellet, gave me a great uh, app to use. It's called Find Ship, and it kind of tracks all the ships around the globe. And boy, there are a lot of ships off the port of Dude. Los Angeles. Dude, yeah, I know it's on the terminal, also, Matt, but not everybody has a terminal. It's, in front it's of on them. the terminal. I know, but not everybody has a terminal in front of them. <laughs> All right. I just want to point out. And yes, and that, sure that is a very this. cool thing. Yep. With MapGo on the yep. Bloomberg Terminal, you can also track all the ships. Are, and uh, by the way, I follow this very closely as well because I want to – I need to ship a car. Hope I hope to ship a car. And a motorcycle? Um, and some motorcycles to the U.S. But it's so expensive to get a container right now, especially for uh, private citizens. I'll make some calls. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, please do. All right, Constance, always great talking to you. Thanks so much. For joining us, Constance Hunter uh, talking to us about the Delta derail. This is Bloomberg. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.